Hello and welcome to another episode of Offbeat Grad. I hope you've had a productive week and before we even get started I wanted to apologize on behalf of my neighbors for being loud as heck outside. Um, it's 4 p.m. on a Tuesday and I don't know about you but that's when I personally decide to blast music outside. You know what? Like I, I would never party on the weekends or like at a reasonable time, I'm just like, you know what, the afternoon, it's 2 million degrees outside, I know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna blast this music next to this girl's door because I can peek through her window and I can see she's doing work. So what better time to express myself through the power of song than right now? So um, you're welcome for that. But anyway, we're going to talk about contracts today because contracts are sort of the best thing ever. And by the best thing ever, I mean they make sure you get paid. So that makes them the best thing ever. So contracts matter to both freelancers, bloggers, I guess that's sort of it. Like, I don't know who else they matter to unless you're in Fifty Shades of Grey and you actually have a contract with your significant other for a period of three months. Um, for more fun facts about Fifty Shades of Grey, I don't know how we detoured here, check out my other podcast called Unrecommended, where we read books like Fifty Shades of Grey to um, really just extrapolate on the fine literature that has been bequeathed upon us by various authors. So, fun detour, no one needed, but here we are. So, contracts, what are they? Who are they? Who is she? What is she doing here? Why won't she go home? These are the questions we're going to answer, and I have a full blog post here all about contracts, specifically for freelancers, but they apply to bloggers as well, and I'll tell you why. And all I'm talking about is why you need them and how to make one, because I used to not have a contract, and I will tell you, ooh, I will tell you how your girl got in trouble with that. And then if you don't know where to start with contracts, I have a free template you can use on my website. You don't have to sign up for an email list or anything annoying. I'm not like other girls like that. Like, I don't need you to sign up. I'm just giving you free stuff because that's how bribery works. You need a contract because it's a way to protect yourself. So you might be like, nah, I don't need to protect myself. Like I trust the brands and the clients I work with. And I would tell you that you are a naive, sweet summer child and you need to take a seat and make a contract because I don't care how well you know them or if it's your cousin's in-law or if it's like your dog's best friend. I don't care who it is. You should probably have a contract because they could just not pay you. <laughs> so that's that's a problem. So you will definitely deal with bad clients. You will deal with bad brands when you are working for yourself. And it is just a fun part of the job. But it doesn't need to be super scary because you'll have a contract. So it'll all be super okay. And you can handle it. I believe in you. So what's the big deal with the contracts? Basically, um, it's a legal document that protects you in case something doesn't happen. In theory, it would hold up in court. So what happens if you have to go to small claim boop boop up if you have to go to small claims court? So you could go to small claims court, but let's say you've only emailed this client or you've only talked to them about it, like over the phone or in person. Like there's nothing really to protect you because that client can say whatever the heck they want. They can be like, I didn't get any info about it. They didn't tell me how to pay. We never agreed on payment terms. They didn't pay me. They didn't do it. Blah, blah, blah. Like all of these things can come up and there's really nothing you can do. In theory, exchanging um, terms of like your agreement over email can be held up in court. 
But like, why, why trust yourself via email to get that all right? It's just risky. What you need to do is have it laid out clearly in a contract and then there's no confusion. So a contract is good for you because it guarantees that you have some protections in place. But it's also good for the client because a lot of the times I've worked with clients who are new to working with freelancers and they might really not know what to expect. So having things like payment terms, like when will they need to pay you by, how will they pay you, like what is the cost of a revision, like these things, having them spelled out in a contract can be really helpful for a client as well because they'll be like, oh, okay, so like if I need this, this is how I do it or I need to pay by this date, like that kind of thing is really helpful for both of you, not just one of you. And like I said, it makes sure you get paid. So a lot of times when you're working with clients and you don't have a contract, you'll experience what's known as scope creep, which is when suddenly you're working with a client and they ask for this, this, and this, and you're like, this isn't really in like our original agreement. Like maybe you're building a website. So you build the website and then suddenly they're like, this is great, but I also want this feature. And it's like really time consuming and you're sort of like, hmm. I should probably be paid for this, but what do you do? And you don't really have a formal contract, so you don't really know the full scope of the like project wasn't really outlined, so you don't really know where you stand. The same is true for revisions. So as a freelance writer, I experience a lot of revisions sometimes. Um, maybe the client ends up wanting a little bit of a change, or they decide they want to take the article a little bit of a direct, different direction or they're reusing it for some other purpose, et cetera, et cetera. Like things happen and they might want a revision. And so are they free or like how many do they get? Like for me, I do three revisions, like reasonably, like minor revisions within like the initial fee. If they need more than that, for whatever reason, I charge a flat rate. Um, so having that all outlined really protects me because then if they come back and they're like, Hey, I need you to add this and do this, this, and this, I can just point them to that contract and be like, that'll be great. As per the terms of our contract, we agreed upon earlier, um, that will be X amount of money. And then it's a lot clearer is all I'm saying. So it's good. And it also makes it look super professional. So when you first start working with a new client, especially if you're a new freelancer or you're young, like when I first started, I was young. I'm still young. And a lot of times I feel pretty intimidated because like I'm 23 and I, I look 23 and I'm always like, they're probably not going to take me seriously because I'm, it's not like I have 10 plus years of experience. Like I, I graduated college two years ago. I mean, I do have experience and I do my job well, but how would they know that when they first meet me? So having a contract just really shows that you know what you're doing, like they can't take advantage of you because you're not messing around. You're not here to play. You are here to, to do your work and get paid because you're a professional. So you want to be a professional. So that's why I made a contract for you. And I have worked without a contract before in several circumstances, and I definitely don't recommend it. So when I first got started, I actually didn't have a contract at all. Um, sometimes the, the clients I would work with would have their own contract, which is usually a good thing. If they have that, it usually means that they're going to pay you and like they have a protocol in place. So that is what usually happens. This also happens a lot when you're a blogger working with brands on a sponsored post or something. They will send you a contract, especially if it's through a network. But there have been other times when there wasn't a contract in place or it was just very casual. And all of these times I either felt myself a little bit confused about like the full scope of 
the project. I ended up delivering more than like I would have at the beginning because of scope creep or there was confusion with how to pay. And I don't like this. Um, I thankfully have always been paid from an interaction with a blogger or a blogger with a blogger with a um, sponsorship or a client, but it's definitely taken longer than it needed to, or it was just really confusing for both of us, and we're not about that. So I like to get paid, and I like to get paid on time. So that's why we do that. So it doesn't matter how the client finds you, if you reach out to them, whatever. Um, you just want to come to an agreement on some like clear things. So what do you need to include in your freelancing contract? So when I first started making my own contract, I was desperately looking for templates because I'm not a lawyer and I didn't know what I was doing. And I don't know, I had this idea in my mind that my freelancing contract or my blog contracts had to be super complicated. They had to have all this terminology like that lawyers would understand. I imagine like people in a court of law using a microscope and being like, what is the third amendment here? Like, I don't know what I had in my mind, but I thought it needed to be really complicated. And I'm gonna tell you right now, it doesn't. And actually it shouldn't be. Because odds are that your clients or the brands you're working with are not lawyers. They are not going to have extensive experience like reading and writing contracts. Especially if you're working with small businesses, a lot of times I contact the business owner directly and I know that they probably don't have time to sift through like a five page thing with like several confusing sections. Like they just don't have time. That's a turn off. No one wants to read through that just for like a small project or whatever. It's just really not necessary unless you're doing something crazy. Maybe if you are doing like multi-thousand dollar long projects, if you are designing the next Facebook, then yes, maybe you should speak to a lawyer. But if you are not, if you are doing just like a, a normal level up to several hundred dollars of work, maybe even up to a thousand or so, depending on what it is, I would just, we got this. You can do it. I promise you, you don't need anything fancy. So what do you actually need to include in it? I have narrowed it down to like a handful of things. So first you need to talk about the scope of the project. So you need to be super clear. So what you're going to do after listening to this podcast, you're going to get my template and then you are going to leave it blank. And when you get a client or like a blog contract, you are going to fill it out. And the first thing you're going to fill out is the scope of the project. So what are you doing for the client? If you are making a website, you'll be like, design a website, but go beyond this. Be like, design and code four pages of a website, install WordPress. Like these are the specific things that you need to do. So don't be afraid to get super specific because you're basically just protecting yourself here. So if they come up later and they're like, I actually want you to do this, this, and this, you can be like, okay, well that wasn't in the original project scope. So we need to think of new payment terms. It gets you your money. So the next thing you need is revision. So are you willing to do revisions? And if you are, how many? So sometimes it's normal to include certain types of revisions within the project. So the same goes for blog sponsorships. Um, you might offer to revise the article like up to three times. I usually think three is a safe number, um, but I think you should always include what types of revisions you will do within this. Like I do copy edits and like minor content edits. Like I, I spell this out because um, a lot of times they'll come back and they'll ask you for some pretty extreme revisions. And usually it comes down to the client not being able to communicate like very efficiently the first time. So it's crappy to feel like you have to sort of start over when you could have done this if it had just been communicated clearly the first time. So including what kind of revision you'll do 
is really helpful. So if you're doing graphic design, you might be like, I will do like color revisions or sizing, like that kind of thing. Um, but you don't want to agree to do extravagant things. Otherwise, you can be like, if a, an additional revision is needed, it will be charged an average of $20 an hour or something like that. It could be hourly or it could just be per project. Um, having that kind of like protection in there will really come in handy if the client does need revisions. And then when they're looking through your contract the first time, they'll see that, oh, we get this many revisions, like better make them count, that kind of thing. Finally, or next, not finally, you need your payment terms. So this is like, how much will you charge? Or will it be hourly or per milestone? Will you have a flat B? And then how will the client pay? And is there a deposit? So first of all, you need to know how much you charge. Obviously, you probably already know this at this point when you've been communicating with your client, I hope. Um, so you just want to be really clear. So if you're being paid per milestone, like maybe you get paid after doing one article, then paid again after doing the next article or an Instagram post, whatever. Um, you want to outline that, make it very clear. And then how will they pay? So for me, that means we'll pay via PayPal. Then I usually include my PayPal email address so they know where it's coming from. And then is there a deposit? So sometimes when you're working with a client, you might have a deposit. Sort of depends on your relationship with the client. If you've worked with them before, I have used deposits before. If it's like a really big project or if I don't have any experience working for that client and you just need a little bit of protection. So you would outline that. The next, you're going to say the deadlines. So when will the client need to pay and when will the project be finished? These are the two key things. So you might not have a deadline if it's an ongoing project, but you still might kind of put some parameters like each milestone will be completed on a weekly basis or something. Um, as for the deadline of when the client needs to pay, this is up to you. So sometimes <laughs> you want them to pay immediately, and that is certainly fair, but I think you should provide some kind of grace period of uh, at least a week. I say this because a lot of bigger companies will work through um, bigger like payroll departments and it might not just be like some person sending you something on PayPal. Like it might need to go through like a, a more strict system and this can actually take time and it's not just the client like putting you off. So it definitely will depend. Um, for me, it depends on the client as I said but if the past I've personally like worked on larger projects or maybe I do like between 10 and 15 articles a month in that case I tell them the days that I'm going to send my invoice I'm like usually it's on the first of the month and I'll be like I'm gonna send on the first of the month the invoice for everything that I've written the past month and that's when I send it and that just helps me stay organized but you could do every two weeks every one week whatever or just as soon as the project is finished but you want to be clear with that so when do they need to pay for me I give them 30 days and that's just because I know that a lot of companies have to go through these longer processes and so far it hasn't been an issue if it did start to become an issue I would probably reevaluate that but for me it's 30 days whatever you want is whatever you want and next you need your late fees and your add-ons so is there a fee for late payment and how much is it I think you should have a fee for late payment I personally have one and it is I charge 0.05% per day for mine but it can be whatever you want so like if that's a small project it's really not that much but it does start to add up so you might charge $10 a day or you might charge 25% a week like if you're being that extreme um, I think that's all reasonable but it needs to be spelled out here and then similarly if they need any other extras if anything else changes like how much will it cost so that's also important Finally, or not finally, why do I keep saying that? That's a weird transition word. Um, next, I'm going to 
suggest that you put in your intellectual property rights. So this is just who's retaining the right to the product or the deliverables. And also I tie into this whether or not you can use these deliverables in your portfolio. Because a lot of times if you sign away your property rights, giving them full, full ownership, then you're no longer able to maybe link to it in your portfolio or share it with prospective clients. And I value that because I do a lot of ghostwriting, so I want to make sure that I'm able to actually use some of the things that I write in like a way that will get me more jobs. So I always say that the client retains full rights after um, payments and that I would like to retain rights to link to like a snippet or like an excerpt. I, I don't give the whole thing, but I always ask if I can link to an excerpt for my own portfolio on my personal website. And I've never had a client say no to this. Um, I think as long as you phrase it in this way that you're just using this in, as a way to connect with potential clients, not just like advertising it to anyone who asks. Usually most clients are respectful of this, but this is a good chance to get that out in the open. And then last but not least, finally, um, you need a termination clause. So this is what happens if the client cancels the agreement. So this does happen. Um, I've actually had this happen to me before when working with a really big brand. I think it was L'Oreal. Um, they were doing a new project. Um, we got halfway through it. I sent my draft and everything, and then they decided to go in a different direction with the entire campaign and they paid me the full thing and I never had to post it because of that termination fee or in the clause. So I was like, wow, I am a superstar. But basically what happens if the client cancels? Like they might cancel, they might decide they don't wanna work with you, they might find someone else. They might decide, hey, I actually don't wanna do this at all, whatever. So it's up to you what you do. You might keep the deposit. It might be as simple as that. Or you might charge a fee. A lot of the times it's like 25% or like 50% of the full cost. Or you might have a deadline. Like needs to have the termination between like this amount of time. Or like I keep everything. <laughs> so it's whatever it feels right for you. So that is what you need to put in your contract. So let's talk about the best practices just for making your contract. So I have a few tips for this, but if you use my template, then you won't really have to worry about it. But basically, you just wanna be really simple. Like, don't be ambiguous, just be super clear. Don't put any like funky industry jargon in it because you don't know who's reading it. A lot of the times, the people who are like organizing with freelancers aren't necessarily the people who would understand like the full scope of the project. Because I know that I personally work with a lot of marketing directors or um, a lot of business owners who might not be familiar with, with writing for the web. They might not know much about SEO. They might not know a lot of things about like building websites or like the topic we're writing about. And that's totally okay. So I don't want to confuse them by using unnecessary language that just doesn't need to be there. Next, you want to be really organized. So in my template, I have a lot of different subheadings and headings, and it just makes it really clear um, how to organize it and how to read it so no one's confused. They can just browse through it and see all the different parts really quickly and customize it. So I recommend getting a template like mine and just saving it, like filling it out with your info, just save it, and then you need to customize it every single time. You can't just blanketly set it. Blanketly? This is a new word. You can't just blankly send it to everyone and just expect them to fill it in with stuff because they're not going to. And that's just really unprofessional, so don't do it. And then finally, spell out your role. So you always wanna be super clear about what you will be doing. 
as a freelancer. So not only what will you be delivering, but will you send like a monthly reminder before payments are due? Um, will you send those reminder emails? Will you send updates about revisions? These kinds of things that just help protect both you and the client and make it really clear and easy for everyone. And happy clients are long-term clients, so you just want to make it easy and not confusing. And that's all I have to say about that. And now let's talk about some frequently asked questions, because I have been lurking in the freelancer and Upwork um, forums on, on Reddit for a long time, and I've seen a lot of legal issues, and now I think I'm a lawyer, so I can tell you about all of this, but no, um, some of these are really simple. So first of all, I wanted to tell you how to send a freelancer contract. So if you're like, great, I have a contract, but like I don't really know how to get it to the... Uh, clients, my favorite way is with HelloSign. I'm not an affiliate or anything. I just love them. It's a free service. As long as you're sending up to three documents a month, you can just use a free account. So basically you just upload it right into the platform and then you tell it like where the signatures are needed and you just email it through the platform and then they don't have to download anything. They just click on the link and they click where they need to sign and they read it and it lets them download a copy, whatever. And then it sends you the completed thing. So you don't got to print it. I just hate printing. So this is a great solution for that. But you could also just email the document to them and have them figure it out. I just think this is super easy. And why wouldn't you want easy? So next question is what if the client doesn't sign it? Um, good news. Congratulations. If that happens, you just dodged a bullet because that's a big red flag. So if they won't sign it, then odds are they weren't planning to pay you, is what I would like to say. Um, they probably weren't going to pay you, so good thing that you got out of that. And <laughs> I don't know, if they won't sign it, it's pretty weird. So if they won't sign it, I would ask them why. <laughs> I would say, um, do, do you not agree with the terms? These are the same terms we already outlined. Um, I just prefer to get it in writing. If they start arguing with you about this, I would just move on. Just be like, oh, okay, I totally understand your, your perspective. Um, unfortunately, I can only work with clients who will agree to my terms, and I wish you the best of luck. Bye. That's the best thing you can do. Um, so last but not, no, we're not last but not least. Why do I always want to jump the gun? Can you take a freelancer contract to court? Yes, you can. And it will weigh a lot more that you have a contract than it ever would to have just an email back and forth or like a, a spoken contract. But the thing here, I think I just, I will be honest, to go to small claims court, which is where you usually go for most states if you're like trying to get back under $10,000, there are a lot of coast, coasts. There's a lot of costs associated with this, a lot of time. And at the end of the day, you will just need to ask yourself whether or not it's worth it. So... It's very expensive and time-consuming, even if you win. And if it's only for a couple hundred dollars, I would cut my losses and move on. Otherwise, it's just sucky. I don't know. I can't see very many instances when it would be worth going to small claims court. But in general, you could if that's all that mattered to you. So if you had a lot of time and resources, you could take it to court and it would be better. And then, last but not least for real this time, what happens if the client doesn't follow your contract? So what if they don't pay you by the deadline or they end up just completely ignoring the scope and they just go beyond it, they don't care? 
you got to follow through. So think of it this way, like your client wouldn't go to the grocery store and like fill up their cart with food and then just leave without paying because that would be stealing because they took something and it didn't belong to them. And this is the exact same thing as when they ignore you and just do scorp creep, scorp creep, scope creep. They add new projects, they, they do unlimited revisions and they just don't pay on time. Like this is the exact same thing. So at this point, you need to just reclaim any last payments, whether that means you keep the deposit, you charge that late fee, um, you settle different payment terms. This is most likely what will end up happening is where you just need to settle with them and come to some kind of agreement. Maybe they will offer half, maybe they will offer a percentage, whatever. At that point, you just need to cut your losses and run. Um, it's just one of the crappy parts of being a freelancer as a lot of people think they can take advantage of you or that you can't be taken seriously. And it's poopy and it sucks. <laughs> but um, you'll start to learn more about how to just really stress your boundaries and to really follow through with things. So at the end of the day, if the client doesn't follow your contract, you need to follow through on the contract and make good on any threats to charge more fees or to collect the deposit or to keep your work. You can always keep your work as long as they haven't paid for it. It belongs to you and you can always just keep it. Do something with it. I don't know what you do with it, but it's yours now. Congratulations. So that was this entire lesson, I guess, on contracts and why you need them. And I just really hope that if you don't have a contract and you're working online, that you will take a few minutes right now, go to samanthability.com, get my free contract. It's right in the page. You don't have to do anything funky and just save it to your computer and you have it in case for the next time you work with a client or a blogger or a brand. I don't know why I keep saying blogger. <laughs> I really mean brand. Whenever this happens, you will be ready. You won't have to Google anything and you will know exactly what to do to make sure that you are protected. So my client, my clients, my contract is less than like a page. It's very short and it covers everything we talked about. And if you fill it out with your own info and your own project, you will be good to go. Please don't sue me. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so that was it. That was today's podcast. I hope it was informative. I think contracts are really important and they used to intimidate me a lot. And now I feel like I'll contract pro. So catch me at law school. I'm going to be in Legally Blonde. Um, what like it's hard. And I don't know. Anyone can write a contract. I believe in you. So that's that. I hope you have a productive week. And I will actually be out of town next week. But y'all won't know it because I have a new podcast coming your way next week as well. So look forward to that. It's about freelancing yet again. But I will surprise you with the topic. Not that anyone is sitting on the edge of their seats, but just in case. So bye. Have a productive week.